You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to the Bob Clark Creepy Christmas Spooktacular! Hosted by Nightmare on Film Street, I'm John. I'm Kim. And we're here this holiday season to talk about two Christmas kind of horror movies <laughs> from Uncle Bob. Okay, we just wanted to talk about Black Christmas again, and we knew that Bob Clark had a couple other horror movies in his arsenal, and we picked this one, which is called Death Dream, or Dead of Night? Dead of Night. I had never heard of this movie referred to as Dead of Night until last night. Until the title card came up. I'd always I'd always known it as Death Dream. I'd never seen it. But more importantly than that, this is a true Christmas spooktacular. Obviously, we're talking about film here. We're celebrating some holiday horrors, whether or not they're set on Christmas. But beyond that, we've got musical numbers. We've got cocktail pairings. And we're kicking it off with a little song. From Pi Kappa Sigma's Billy. Take it away, old boy. <laughs> Thank you very much, Billy. That's right. It's a true variety show filled with tons of segments that don't really fit in the ultimate theme. Now, I know what you're thinking. Death Dream is not a Christmas movie. Obviously, Black Christmas is. It's in, <laughs> it's in the title. We're all watching it every year. But despite being a horror movie about Vietnam, <laughs> isn't this ultimately just a just a creepy, haunting little tale about a boy who's who wants who's gonna come home for the holidays. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna be home for Christmas. Death's not gonna stop him. Bullets aren't gonna stop him. The only thing in his way are some fucking family members that are willing to let him murder people, even though he should probably be put six feet in the ground. And you know, and I think also thematically, as a precursor to Black Christmas, we've we've got you know unhinged. Gentlemen, rocking chairs. Yeah. There, there are some matching vibes. These are a good double feature. I love, we, we saw one scene with a rocking chair and Kim was just like, we're geniuses. <laughs> we did it. These two movies fit so well together. We've done it again. <laughs> um, Fun fact, this was actually filmed during Christmas in Florida. Well, there you go. And they had a real hard time trying to get the shots they needed, especially like in the graveyard and stuff, without Christmas lights in the background. <laughs> That's hysterical. It's it's like Halloween trying to hide a palm tree. They're trying to hide Christmas trees, I guess. And they're like, no! <laughs> there are so many exterior shots in this movie uh, that I'm sure it was a pain in the ass to try and hide, you know, little blow-up molds of Santa and some snowmen. 
But there you go. Bleeds right through. Even though there is not a shred of Christmas in this movie, you feel it in your bones. It's about a family coming together, like right? you said. Exactly. There's, there's holiday vibes at its core. Sure, and which has to be good thing number one. If we're going to list three good things about Death Dream, number one... It, we're, we're faking a Christmas vibe, you know? It's a family story. That's It's a perfect family story to watch around Christmas. We've just finished Die Hard. What are we going to ne- watch next? Obviously, Bob Clark's Death Dream. Good thing number two... It's 90 minutes. Nine, okay. Kim loves a 90 minute. I think we all love a 90 minute movie. I, I love a 90 minute movie. We had we paused it for some reason. I can't remember. To oh, I, popcorn. I, wanted, I wanted popcorn. And there was only a half hour left. I was like, wow, we're fucking doing it. We're, yeah. We, we're, we've done it. Good thing number three, the uh, finale of this movie, the climax, and also the greatest horror image that comes out of this entire fucking movie. You've probably seen it before. I've seen it plastered on Shutter all the fucking time. It takes place at a drive-in. Very hard to find horror movies that are set at drive-ins entirely. There's not a whole lot you can do there, uh, but I love it. Anytime that a climax of a movie is set at a drive-in, and it almost made me sad we weren't pairing this with with Targets or uh, or even with that John Waters movie, Cecil Be Demented. But we'll get to those movies Blood someday. Rage. Blood Rage. What's that stranded at the drive-in weird movie we watched? That Australian Dead End Drive-in. One? <laughs> Dead End Drive. That one's set it entirely at a drive-in, and, and it's very weird. They, Really pulled some strings to make that uh, that drive-in its own little city. Like even there's like Mad Max at the drive-in. Yeah, even <laughs> they were just like, we can't do a whole movie at the drive-in. This is absurd. But those are three good things about Dead of Night slash Death Dream. I'm calling it Death Dream from now on. I'm not calling I, it Dead of Night. I we need to talk about the title because I don't I don't get it. Okay, well, uh, Dead of Night maybe sounds a little better if we're trying to make it a Christmas movie. Death Dream, much better title. Much mm. better title. Mm, but, but thematically, if you were to pluck this from a shelf at a video rental store, uh-huh. what are you expecting when you pick up a death dream? You're expecting a dream, or some dreams, or dreams in general. What Kim is failing to realize here is that this is about the death of the American dream. Oh, right, <laughs> right, and like, what is the what is the American dream but a collective daydream we all continue to have? Even us in Canada, <laughs> I mean, like, the the North America is founded on that dream, and there's nothing like a world war that will just slaughter an entire generation of young people that'll make you go, maybe this was all for naught. Okay, all right, all right, you're you're winning me over, I guess. I was thinking of it in in context of with without spoiling the whole movie because I know we're we're still up at the top, mm-hmm. but in the Carnival of Souls kind of way yeah. where like this is a, you know uh, oh taking it back to Christmas Family Man like where he's like this is a glimpse where we're just seeing uh, an alternate reality in which you know little Timmy comes home okay <laughs> it's a death dream. It doesn't quite exist. Uh, like, it's hard to say whether or not he's even real, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And what yeah. are you expecting when you pull Dead of Night off the shelf? You've seen that fucking spine. It's got maybe, like, a cool-ass ghoul face on it. Dead of Night. What do you... Potential wh- vampire? Which potentially might be true? This movie Potential. That, sh- that should have been one of our good things. This is, like, beyond, beyond being a story about the horrors of war and about uh, zombies. Potentially? <laughs> This is maybe also one of the strangest vampire-ish stories that came out of the 70s, for sure. Uh, 
Can't wait to talk about that, and we'll be back in a minute to get in full detail about Uncle Bob's Death Dream. Stay tuned. of night, the story of one night in a small town that changed the lives of many and ended the lives of some. As night fell, something evil descended upon the town, something corrupt, unspeakable. Behind their drawn curtains they waited as fear walked in the dead of night. Where you headed? Come on, hop aboard. Death Dream is currently sitting at a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. The, the thing that surprised me the most about this movie, you know, I was expecting, what's this is 74, mm-hmm. um, pre-Black Christmas. I don't know how much ahead of Black Christmas it came out. Not but very I, much. Uh, I was expecting it to be, you know, like a little bit of a slow burn, and I, I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be scary. And I don't know if scary is the word I would use for it, but I have 
I don't think I've been more unsettled by a movie in a very long time. This movie made me very uncomfortable. It was specifically one scene, though, No, right? there and were that... several scenes okay. that made me really uncomfortable. This movie is just uncomfortable. Okay, so I don't want to walk away from that thought too much, so I'm just going to give us a quick little TLDR to get us up to the, po- the spot that kind of fucked Kim up for the whole year, I think. Like if <laughs> it ruined me for the rest of 2023. If, if we're putting together a, a, a list of scenes that fucked me up this year, this is truly the like number one with a bullet for Kim. Uh, so in the beginning of the movie, we are in Vietnam. We're watching a soldier witness the death of his best friend named Darren. Uh, he, while shocked by the horror of it all, also gets shot where we get the opening credits. Uh, We cut to a family in the middle of nowhere America. I think it's supposed to be Massachusetts, apparently, according to Kim, it's Florida, which makes sense. There's lots of frogs everywhere, like at night, just like, (laughs) those classic (laughs) Christmas sounds. And Uh, uh, Spanish moss on the trees. Spanish moss on the trees, baby. They get a letter from a local military rep basically telling them that their son has died. They're all shocked. They're all agonizing over that news. Okay, but let's not gloss over that that was maybe one of the first uncomfortable scenes just because it was played very straight. Yeah. It was slow. You felt the awkwardness of the military official kind of knowing this family personally personally, and having to reveal that information. He doesn't tell them. They kind of know, but they don't know. Because he's a fucking coward. (laughs) Oh, there's that weird, like, the the women step back, but then they're like, what does it say? But they kind of already know, and it's just... The weight of the scene is very, very heavy, and yeah. we're so early on into the movie that I'm like, oh, that's that, that's what this is going to be. Oh, Th- this yeah. is where we are right now. <laughs> I have to emotionally pack up my bags and get them ready. <laughs> These characters are all very good, like, and then they're all played really well. Dad's played by John Marley, who's not an actor that I'm like super-duper familiar with, but I think everybody out there will also recognize him as the guy who finds a horse's head in his bed in The Godfather, and he's kind of great in this. Every- everybody in this movie's great. They're all a little cartoonish, but... The situation that they're going through is obviously wild and weird, and it's sort of tales from the crypty. But yeah, like his his reaction to reading that letter and not having the strength necessarily to say it out loud to them, even though they already know the news. Like that whole scene's great. It's yeah. just a it's a, unfortunately a very honest, real to life depiction of just like grief and like the the news of grief. Like oh, your entire day and your life is fucked up right now. That sucks. Uh, if anybody's a big fan of the last four episodes <laughs> of Succession, you're going to love the first five minutes of this movie. The moment that really got me was after dad had read the letter and he started breaking down and the daughter was telling the dad, like, like she was like, no, stop, don't do that because I don't think she had ever seen her dad break down before. Yeah. And it was like... It's real because dad is emotionally reacting to it. Like, there were so many levels of grief and reaction that, like, as somebody who's experienced grief and very, like, surprising sudden grief, there's a complete span of reactions. There's nothing that's typical. Your brain just doesn't process it the same every time. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) But, but, moment to moment. (laughs) But before the morning comes, there's a sound in the house and everybody's awoken by it. And dad goes, fetches his gun <laughs> and uh, this is how you know it's a real American story and goes investigating what the sound is and at first he thinks it's the dog like oh the fucking dog got in the house dog's supposed to be outside 
which is absurd. Dogs should. That was a little dog. <laughs> that was a tiny dog. Dogs I mean, like that Florida. should sleep at the foot of your bed. <laughs> it, it's. I guess it's Florida. Like you the could, weather is decent. You could sleep outside at night in December if you wanted to, which is obviously when this movie's set. And uh, <laughs> before they're ready to turn around and go back up to bed, they see a haunting image of their son just standing in the darkness at With the end of the hallway. Teeth glowing like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> the most. The creepiest fucking smile in the fucking world. He's like the chauffeur in Burnt Offerings, if that's yes. a deep cut reference anybody gets. Oh, fuck gets. yes. Yeah, just like a smile that you should not trust. And, you know, also the And fact behind that- a door. Who stands behind a door? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the really great thing about all of that is that if you were a stranger who walked into this scene, you go, that boy's got the devil in him. <laughs> but because you're a family who hasn't seen their son in months, he's been in Vietnam, he's stopped writing letters they haven't heard from him in two months they've just found out that very night that he's dead and they're elated that he's back that he's alive so they really push down all of that common sense that this boy's creepy smile and his awkward laugh and his haunting stare is just totally normal for somebody coming home from the war yeah it's all you know we have to we have to give them allowances to to be able to breathe and reacclimate into their world yeah they, get, they, they try to do that for, like, 30 seconds. Yeah, and then after they, that, they're like, why are you so fucking weird? Well, no, but when they sit him down at the table, and they're like, go fetch him some tea, and, and they're like, how was it? What are you, how are you doing, son? And he just doesn't answer, and then he just gives them, like, creepy smile and yeah. says something weird. And then the fucking scene that made me so uncomfortable was just them all laughing at how fucking weird he's being yeah. about being like, I died. <laughs> Yeah, he laughs awkwardly, he stares at them with a smile, and then they all just keep laughing and laughing and laughing, and the camera's all zoomed in on them, and we just, we pull out through the window and off into the fucking front lawn. It's It's so weird. Oh, man. Because it's like this weird mix of, like, elation on top of what was grief, which, and it's also masking his odd behavior, there's so many emotions in that laughter, it's maniacal. Mm-hmm. And we're in their fucking teeth with the camera. <laughs> yeah, we stay there for so fucking So uncomfortable. Long. Like, so uncomfortable. Like how at some point you're like, they gotta hang up the phone while they're talking to Billy in Black Christmas. You're like, this phone call's going on way too long. That's what this That's what this smile and this laughter is like. Yeah, this movie is 90 minutes. There was 10 minutes of that laughing yeah. scene. Bob Clark's really just like, now nah, let's push it. Let's just keep going. Let's fucking rock with this. I do really enjoy the pace of the movie um, and the same with Black Christmas is it's pre kind of the formulaic slasher mm-hmm. uh, because it's one of the very early if not the first yep. in that we're not doing too much and we let scenes linger and we, we explore the emotions of people reacting to the things that happen and yeah. in this like all in terms of deaths we have like the dog um, the doctor, like yeah, we, heads up everybody. This this beautiful, wonderful family Christmas story has a dead dog in it, and you know it's not great. But this movie is ninety minutes, and not a lot happens. But I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, right. Like that's uh, some movies in the seventies really had a way of stretching out that that feeling and part of it just comes down to having a good story with good characters that's well that's all it is like you'll watch anything as long as you find it compelling yeah and i think there's something really cool about this because we're not given a lot of answers and a lot of the film is like this weird uncanny feeling that we know Mm -hmm. he's come back and he's not right yes and 
we just have to sit with him in the, these scenes and like dad's starting to realize that something's not right with the boy, but mom is just full denial, yeah, active denial. Like she Absolutely. knows, but she refuses. Like she shut it down. Yeah. She's like, no, I don't, I don't have time to worry about that. I've got to go make lunch. I've she's like, my boy's back and I love him. <laughs> mom's fucking off the deep end from the beginning of this movie though. And like, clearly I think mom knows he's dead before we get the news because she's like her, it's her voiceover that we hear in the very beginning, like over but it's his weird. Sh- she's like, it's okay, Danny. Andy, you're going to come home. I love you. You're going to come home. I know you can hear me. It's totally fine. Like, they're saying grace she's for fucking, dinner. Like, she's making rituals out of her nightly prayer. Yeah. She's casting spells. She doesn't realize she's a witch. Yeah. 100%. Her, her desperation brought yeah. this boy back. She totally pricked her finger and put a drop of blood into an apple pie, and that's why he's home. <laughs> right? That's the other cool thing about the movie, is that we don't have a moment where somebody makes a bargain with the devil, or somebody does voodoo, or there's any sort of supernatural bargain that gets exchanged in order for Andy to come home and I love that he shows up immediately after they find out he's dead that's the other thing about like the grief part of the movie too right like you're in that weird pit where you're just like no there's gotta be a this has to be wrong you're trying to reason with it yeah yeah like there's there's gotta be a way we can fix this. Like, anytime you get bad news about anything, like, even if it's just like, hey, guess what? You're in fucking debt now. Yeah. You're like, how oh, do well, we there's... control Zed this? <laughs> yeah. How do we control Zed this? What's the action plan to get back to where we were and there isn't one when someone dies? Like, that's just, that's not possible. It's the one thing you can't change. Oh, man. I had... And it fucks you up. I had that feeling for, like, two months when my dad passed away. Like, oh, I yeah, figured out, like, if I could just figure out medically what happened, like, it didn't happen. I could undo it. It was mm-hmm. a weird place for my brain to be. Yeah. But then, so that's why it's always reasonable or uh, fitting to have a scene where you've got somebody who like meets a witch or meets the devil and then they they strike a bargain and then you can do that because it's it's tapping into the vulnerability and the susceptibility of a person at that time. Yeah. Well, and if your if your want and yearning could be this tangible thing, like if if the energy you you harnessed into wanting something actually had the ability to make change, it would bring boys back from the war. Yeah. And so like that's the other question is whether or not he's back home because they want him that bad or because he's not willing to go. He because he hasn't died in his own Yeah. Like it's it's such a unimaginable thing for him to have died for his country it's, <laughs> in it's, a war that he didn't want to fight that there's like oh no I've surely I can still go home yeah it, it's I think it's a multi-layered thing because it's also the fact that he's a boy there is a scene where you know like the boys from the neighborhood come to see him and like they come to see him but there's a huge age difference from what we can see like Andy looks like he's an adult and these boys look like they're 12 13 but yeah. There's a clear delineation between, you know, boys to men because mm. he's he's come back and he's different now. Uh, whether or not there's any supernatural element, that that is still true. That still exists. Yes. He's he's different now. Well, even the postman comes by like, is that Andy? Oh, hot damn. I didn't know it was Andy. <laughs> I love I love the postman in this movie because he just inserts himself into like the family function for the day. He sits down at the picnic table with them. He's like, is that egg salad? Let me just grab a sandwich there. Like, oh, he got the iced tea. And then he starts reminiscing about all his fun war stories about the Korean War or about World War II. And that sets Andy off the fucking edge because he does not have like, let's let's assume that this is the real Andy who came back from the war he's got no good memories about korea or he's the only thing we know about it is that he saw his best friend die yeah even if he is the living andy all he's seen in vietnam is 
awful shit. But all like the, the entire generation behind him, and I'm talking about like a whole generation of men, the people who raised them came back from World War II or Korea. They were just like, yep, it's what made me the man I am today, and that's what made this country so great. And no one ever said anything bad about the war, even though it totally fucked them up. <laughs> and like, we do not explore mental health or therapy. Right, exactly. And so he's just, he goes insane on this guy because it's a lie. And, like, the only way, the only reason he knows it's a lie is because he's experienced it firsthand. And that's, that's probably what's always so interesting about Vietnam stories, too, is that it's the, it's a generation that was willing to say, no, this is wrong, and all that you've told me is a fabrication. And that's also just kind of the experience everybody has when they hit, like, 17, 18. Yeah, well, and I think there's also that weird feeling of coming to terms with the fact that you think you're the good guy when you go over there. Yeah. And then you see how, kind of, actually violent and depraved and sometimes outside of the realm of morally good the behavior is yeah. like there is there was a lot of like raping and kidnapping and and inhumane treatment of hostages you come back and and everybody's like oh this hero here's this medal and you're like I'm... <laughs> there's there's a lot you know like i love i love vietnam movies and they're all depressing every single one of them and even like the great ones you know movies like taxi driver which isn't in it it's it's not explicitly a vietnam movie but there's no way that travis barker robert de niro's character isn't a ptsd ridden vietnam vet in some regard uh rolling thunder all those movies it's all about coming back home and like you're just completely fucked and the country has a completely different opinion than you and you're wrong for having that opinion and also like fuck you for asking for help with everything yeah, that you're he, dealing with it's like here's your medal and we don't want we don't want to hear from you anymore <laughs> yeah, like yeah and that's that's if you got a medal like that's the other thing too like you people would come home from world war ii and there's a parade oh thank god you're home we've missed you so much you come you step off the plane from vietnam and everybody's just like look at this fucking asshole in his dumbass military outfit and then you get spit on because like you're a baby killer and you're just like, I didn't want to be there. I truly didn't want to be there. I'm lucky I got out. Everybody I love and know is dead. Like, Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Bob's here to save But the so day. there are a lot of levels to this character. And yeah, there's yeah, also kind yeah. of the paranormal aspect of is he a zombie? Is he a vampire? Because yeah. both of those things are maybe potentially true. Oh, it's so great. He's living off the blood of the American people. Um, no. So, um... <laughs> So anyway, the very, 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 very beginning of the movie, before he comes home, we're in the POV. Again, early slasher. Bob knew what the fuck he was doing. Before Halloween, before everything. Classic Bob. He was in the killer POV, stalking through, obviously, the Vietnam uh, jungle, and then also up to a truck where he's hitchhiking. This is how he gets home. We're in Rudely the- hitchhiking. He's... He's, he's in a place, you know? <laughs> like, even the truck driver recognizes it. Like, because he's in a soldier's uniform, he picks him up. And he's also pretty forgiving over the fact that this kid has not said a goddamn word to him for, like, five hours. He does eventually kill the truck driver, though. That's a, <laughs> that's a big no-no. Sorry, bud. That's not how you say thank you for driving me home. Uh, the police are investigating this mysterious death. And beyond the fact that he's got his throat slashed open... Maybe from an accident, I'm not sure. He's got a he's got a very strange little pinprick in his arm, possibly from a syringe. And there's no As soon as they said that, me and John were like, 
shifty eyes at each other like what could it be I, I just love the fact that it was one little dot I was like what does he have one vampire tooth <laughs> just like one little fang just for drinking blood but no he totally like later on after the doctor who's examining that body makes the connection that this soldier who just recently got home and killed a dog killed a dog told his family that he got home hitchhiking knowing full well that this truck driver pitched, picked up a hitchhiker before dying uh, is, is probably responsible for that death he follows that doctor to his office in an incredible sequence where he kills this doctor and then pulls out a syringe, <laughs> takes out his blood from his arm. We never see him drink it. We never see him do anything with it. Yeah, he he wraps his arm with the stethoscope. Oh my god, you're right. He's I'm a sorry. fucking junkie. I'm so fucking He's sorry. a junkie. He's a, <laughs> how did I fucking forget that? That he just made like a rude tourniquet with the stethoscope. God, that was a fun little spot. How did and, I forget that? And the, the scene actually literally ends with him like his head nodding back like he's just yeah. injected heroin it's a weird little movie like man. living is is or being back and being human again is a drug it's mm-hmm. something that he's in trying to inject into his body i love that it's very return of the living dead about how eating the brain is is all that stops like the pain of dying like i could feel this body rot and the only time that i forget that i'm dead is when i'm eating other people's brains i know how how fucking poetic was that funny looking zombie it's weird how this how much of an art film this movie is right there are a lot of really great lines in this movie. Oh, man, so many. Like, it's so poignant. <laughs> it, it it ends with, okay, I mean, like, spoiler alert, it ends with it ends with Andy burying himself in a shallow grave where there's already a tombstone that's got his name on it. He's been carving it, though. We've been showing scenes of him at night going to the graveyard and carving something into a tombstone, and we don't know what it's been. I fuck, what? Where have you where been? Where the fuck was I? <laughs> I was just eating popcorn. I guess I was just thinking about the movie. I'm like, hmm, the thing about Vietnam movies, you remember <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a song with Billy and make it the tequila song. <laughs> like, I did too much pre-pro while watching the movie and that I missed all of these great little spots that thankfully somebody smarter than me, Kim, was there to witness. Okay, so I missed all of that. But the end of the movie is him burying himself in that shallow grave with that gravestone that we've seen him carve uh, <laughs> <laughs> over a series of nights. And then mom is there laying him to rest going, some of our boys just never came home. And it's like, that is so fucking haunting. No, she said some boys never come home. Like, mine, at least okay. mine did. Like, hers came home dead. No, that's not at all what she's saying. Hers came home dead, but at least he came home. No, that's not yes, what Yes, that is what she's fucking saying. No, what she's talking about is that, su- that boys come home, but it's not them. That's the whole idea. Even the ones that return, like Jimmy went off to the war and, and somebody came back with Jimmy's face, but it's not Jimmy. Jimmy's not in there anymore i mean i think that's true but that's not what she's saying i don't know man like i think i think they are taking that you know unfortunately classic archetypal story of of a vietnam vet who comes back and is so broken by what he went through that he's a he's a husk of who he used to be and he's practically a monster now and he has these fits of rage and he doesn't know how to fit back into society and it's as though the war is still going on inside his own mind yeah and i think that's definitely obviously a metaphor that the movie is doing just kind of in a monsterific way but i think what's so good about the ending is that mum doesn't learn anything oh <laughs> 
poor mom. Yeah, like mom is unchanged from the beginning to the end, and you that's really why this so? is a tragedy because she is even reluctant to help bury him until he is like almost gone. He is burying himself, and she's trying to like dig him out, and he doesn't want to be here anymore. And oh, she yeah. is like clawing at the dirt, trying to keep him, and then finally she like relents, but she still has him. He's home. There's a tombstone she could visit, and his body is there. Some boys never come home. Like, I'm still one of the lucky ones. Ooh. I mean, okay, I like how you're reading it, but I don't know. I still... So here's uh... some fucking evidence for you. When I was getting the character <laughs> names for my notes... Yes. This is loosely based off the story, The Monkey's Paw. So okay. she's the one that willed him into the into the world. She's the catalyst for the supernatural events. Okay. And she doesn't. She didn't learn anything from curling the paw. <laughs> from curling the paw. Okay. Ah. Uh, hmm. Well, art is subjective, <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the eye of the beholder. And but I think, I think we're what you're right. saying is also true. Like yeah. I, I think mine is maybe more of a of talking about just like the like Vietnam on film in general, and just like the a generation's opinion of that war. And yours is maybe a little more hyper specific with evidence based solely on what we're talking about today. So sure, you're right. And as the one that actually watched the movie, ah, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts a bit. I did like this movie a lot. Um, That's okay. In three weeks from now, you're going to remember it, and I won't. So yeah, who's the real winner here? <laughs> But yeah, the finale of the movie is great because he is starting to like. Obviously, he's getting worse and worse. He's he's evil. He's killing the family dog. He's killing the doctor because the doctor's learning his secret. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's home. Probably because he's fucking dead and he and shouldn't weird. be home. And weird. But he starts to fucking rot. Before they're going out on a double date with him, his sister, and they're significant others like why does he agree to. to it because he's not keen like he's like eh, i think it's because i could just stay in my rocking chair <laughs> doesn't he have to go out to feed do you think he agrees because he's like yeah i guess i'll eat my old girlfriend yeah i guess i could do that you gotta eat somebody yeah do you think he was gonna eat his sister i don't think he had formulated plans to do that but i think it was only a matter of time yeah because he is emotionless whatever existed of him before you could almost say that he didn't come back. Yeah. Does he have his prior memories? I don't know. Does he care? I don't right? think he does. That's but, And that's what's so great about it, because that's what so many families dealt with when their sons came home from the war. Like, they're, they're sitting across the table from these people, and they're just like, I don't recognize this guy. And I don't think he recognizes me. And like that said, that's just a great dynamic for a family dinner, at least on film, not in real life. Not that's in real life. That's truly awful. <laughs> that's, I don't wish that on anybody. But for art. Oh, great art. And you're watching him, too, the entire time because you want to see if Andy is in there because yeah. we, we want to know, like, how much of a monster is he? Like, what are we dealing with here? Mm -hmm. Is he a vampire? Is he a zombie? <laughs> yeah. Did he actually come back? I was toying with the idea that maybe something possessed him and took his body and brought and, and like, came oh, back. Sure. Something because the voice was very weird. It was whispering in an evilly kind of way. And yeah. I know it was twisting the words that the mom was saying, uh -huh. but it sounded very evil. And I was like, OK, maybe there's a spirit in him and, he, and it's literally just his body and he's not in there and I got no clues even when he was on the date with Joanna and she's trying to like you know like bring up memories she's like this is where we had our first hot dog and he's like oh. it, yeah I don't know if he <laughs> he doesn't eat food in the whole movie either, I, yeah I don't know right? if he remembered I don't know if he cared I don't know yeah, exactly. Because his his brain's just not there like he's still in assuming he's a real person like his brain he, his 
entire being is still overseas in the war. Yeah, because there's still also the potential that this didn't actually literally happen. Yeah. And that this is kind of that weird glimpse thing. But he came home because there was a weird time blip and, yeah, and yeah. now we're going back. That he didn't come home. He, he died. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really good finale, though, because they're, they're at the drive-in. It's just a great spot to have a showdown. When he's getting ready to go out, we see that his skin is falling off and he's got maggots. Like, it looks so good. It's crazy that he doesn't smell. But not everybody isn't just like, you smell like a dead person, bud. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> uh, Andy, you're not so fresh. <laughs> but the evil is what keeps the stink away. And he's able he's able to smooch a little bit with Joanna. like, Or at least enough that she's she actually still wants to kiss him. He doesn't smell like a corpse yet. And uh, when his sister and her boyfriend go off to get popcorn... He starts eating Joanna's face, basically. Because she sees the, like, rot dripping down his face. And then, like, she gets terrified of him. And he's like, well, we better shut this down. Yeah, it's a really haunting image because it's it's shot like they're making out and they're, you know, just laying down in the backseat. Telling secrets in the backseat. Yeah, but he's (laughs) totally just, like, strangling her and he's going to eat her face. It's wicked. The whole setup in the drive-in is gross, though, right? Like... The, uh, just the idea that... Just the fact that the the two couples in the car are related. Like, yeah. that's And weird. that this is, like, a thing they used to do all the time. Yeah, that's They're weird. at the drive, and they're just like, well, it's planned tonight. And it's like, I mean, who actually watches the movie? Am I right, Andy? And well, one of like, you go yes, to the fucking right. swing set. Like, don't both be in the car. They at least give them a little bit of privacy, but I, the assumption is that they're all four of them are in the car making out. I don't like, like I don't it. want to do that with my brother or no, sister. I don't that's like not that. I don't like no, it. No, thank you. No. And when they get back, he's gone full berserker mode, and he's like a crazy zombie now. He's got zombie eyes. Well, yeah, he can't hide it now, because the the glasses are somewhere in the back seat and he's full <laughs> spook show yeah his eyes are so fucked he's got it's like his gums have decayed and he's like all teeth there's blood everywhere he looks so fucking cool and crispy yeah man yeah, yeah. he looks both dry and wet i think it's the promo image on shutter for like the canadian horror subgenre that they have like they have they have the occasional collection i swear one of them is like it came from the north even Which though is this is fu- clearly not a canadian well, and, movie and bob clark isn't canadian he just <laughs> yeah. lived in canada for a while. <laughs> i know right like he made black christmas he made a christmas story we were like he's canada's own bob clark <laughs> oh man what a great origin story for uncle bob yeah, I like this movie a lot. Especially, so he he runs off. This is where it kind of becomes like the Pitchfork territory, Universal Monster stuff, where he's just the monster in town that everybody's after. They finally, they've, they're running him out. Well, he did run over a body. He did run over somebody at the drive-in. I think it was his sister's boyfriend. Um, or no, it was just somebody else that Some, saved yeah, his sister. Yeah, because he tried to run drive-in. over her. Yeah, he tried, to, he tried to run over a few people at the drive-in. And... The whole town's rising up. He makes his way back home. Mom's protecting him. They get back in the car. Uh, Dad kills himself. Dad kills himself. Like, he's like, I know what you did, son, and I'm in your childhood bedroom with all your childhood ephemera around, but you've got to be stopped. Oh, man, the Scooby-Doo light switch <laughs> yes. broke my heart. <laughs> yeah, he can't, he can't bring himself to do it, so while Mom is sort of like... Uh, ushering him at the house before an entire wave of angry community uh, come by to, to rip his head off. Dad blows his brains out in the bedroom. Sucks. But uh, my the best part... It was the best ending for Dad, though, because he loved that dog. <laughs> it was over Man. for him the second that dog died. That's the other... Th- so I, I, I... There were... F- 
they were framed photos of the dog in the background throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and so there's something I want to ask you about that too, because there's also a lot of dialogue between mom and dad about how much dad loved his son and about how he was ho- he kind of hoped that his son would die in the war because then he could just be this martyr for the family a little bit, and it'd just be like, oh, my boy died for our country, like that classic American. I don't know guy. if we had enough time to go there. No, I I agree, <laughs> but we we get like. 18 years of arguments in three and a half minutes between mom and dad. And yeah, because they really, descent they, they descent oh, very yeah. fast. She's really taking him to task on some stuff, and it's just not... Like, there's three seasons of character development there, <laughs> then we're just getting the, the bullet points of it. So it doesn't all perfectly land, but you can't deny that dad's way more torn up about that dog dying than his son. Now, we only get a glimpse of his reaction to the news that his son is dead, but he's out drinking his sorrows away. He's t- he's telling everybody he can that this dog is dead. I don't know what I'm going to do okay. with myself now that my dog is gone. To counterpoint, though, after the doctor tells him that, you know, like, I, this is goes beyond the scope of that oath that I did. I have to tell the police that your son is definitely the hitchhiker killer. Yeah. He goes to, he gets ahead of the story. Yes. He goes to the cops and you, we think, we're like, oh, fuck, he's going to tattle on his boy because yeah. that boy ain't right. And <laughs> he doesn't. He makes up a lie. Yeah, I know. I saw the doc the night before. He, he said was he was meeting some totally different veteran. From a different town entirely. <laughs> Definitely not my son who came home the same day. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, you you could make an argument that that... Uh, it would just look bad on him if his son was seen as a murderer because then he would be the 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 father of a murderer and like oh you must have fucked up raising that boy yeah i guess i'm for the movie i'm extrapolating on that a for bit. the movie i am on the dad's side because the mom is her behavior is bonkers yeah. and her just overlooking everything is just too much for me i'm mm-hmm. like no you're not doing this right i think there is something though about how much we have dad wallowing over the death of the dog and maybe maybe it that's partly him sort of grieving the loss of his son anyway because like clearly that's not his son anymore like it looks like his son oh that's good it has his son's face so like he thinks the dog <laughs> <laughs> he, he thinks he's broken up about the dog and he is but part of it it's also just that even though he came home my son is dead like that's that's just that's just how it is that's good. But, no, I like but that. But I, 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 I do like to take the darker tone, where it's just like, he, he definitely likes this dog more than he liked his son. <laughs> but, you know. Whatever. Yeah, but that could also be explaining the fact that he kind of transplanted the emotions he had for his son while yeah. his son was gone onto this dog. Mm, that's possible. Because he did have two children. Oh, so it's, yeah, okay, so the, the son's gone, but don't worry, Chester, you're gonna be my Andy now. There is also that weird scene where the sister is trying to reason with the dad because she doesn't know what's going on, and mom's behaving weird, and dad's drunk, and he, like, pushes her across the room, and you're like, wow, you are clearly not the favorite child. Right, he comes up drunk, he's like, daddy's expecting a very important phone call, you go fuck him, you watch this phone for me, you come get me, I'll be in my closet drinking. <laughs> like, I don't even know where he is, he's like, maybe in the closet, maybe in the attic, just looking at photo albums albums drinking an entire bottle of scotch just like we had it so good you know it's sad it's real it's real real sad yeah this is a fucking dark movie yeah absolutely it's a it's a anti-vietnam movie through and through uh but it's also just a great little maybe vampire maybe zombie movie you know yeah so what do you think let's let's kind of make a decision here what is he is he a vampire is he a vampire or is he a zombie hmm 
Why? But why? can't he just be a ghoul? Yeah. Can't we just okay, can we just call ghoul. him a Yuletide ghoul I, and leave it at that? Okay, no Yuletide. <laughs> He's a ghoul. I like that. It's Christmas time. The, the, the drug choice is such an is such an idea though. Well, I mean, they all came home junkies. You know, like either they got hooked on heroin while they were in Vietnam, or they came back and that was the only thing that made the voices, the dreams, and all the bad thoughts go away. Mm. Like that's it's that's the other thing. It's just like they. Got, had psychosis and then they got and, and, and they, they weren't getting drug treatment addicts. for no. PTSD at all no there was nothing they were just like hey man I think maybe what you should do is just like go hang out with some other Vietnam vets slap each other on the back have a beer and then I don't know put on a brave face for the next 70 years like that was essentially all anybody did like that's the extent of our post-war treatment and I mean it's better now but I mean it's pretty much basically the same wow yeah I feel better oh so ghoul then. <laughs> happy, happy holidays. Yeah, I, I just like to say ghoul. I I, I don't know. Ghoul I, is such a good word. I love the image of him taking the taking the blood and injecting it like he's a junkie, but he seems more zombieish than anything else. When he starts rotting, he really does. <laughs> you know, that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah, the fact the that vampires he, are usually more <laughs> sexy. <laughs> going back to his own grave and everything's fun. I I, li- I really like at the end where the car's on fire. I just I love a car on fire. Also, just the idea of mom cops. driving away from the cops yes, with yeah. a car on fire. But but he's in the passenger seat going like, turn left over here. <laughs> right? He's like pointing her like, where do I go now? And he's like, oh, you want to crash into that gate over there? They, Graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good movie. It's yeah, again, depressing, N- but not a surprise when you watch this and knowing what you know about uh, Black Christmas, because like Black Black Christmas, not a feel good movie, and also answers even less. Yeah, Bob Clark's just like you know what? Fuck your answers. Fuck answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All we're left with in this life are questions. Even Christmas Story, like a Christmas Story, doesn't really have an ending. It's just like it just stops. <laughs> <laughs> so true it's just over the whole movie builds toward christmas day and then we get to christmas day we have christmas night and you're just like i don't feel like there's an ending to this story credits okay cool let's watch it again yeah whatever all right so what is your rating gonna be for death dream i was gonna say should i say dead of night i like dead of night better but okay. your explanation you for death dream was pretty good when you go ahead and write dead of night and i'll write death dream how's that sound uh i'm gonna give death dream it's tough i think I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like it's a three and a half out of four good, but like it's not the most fun movie. It made me very uncomfortable. Sure. So I'm going to go with a three out of four. I'm also, yeah, like I'm also (laughs) three out of four. I I really, that laughing, I really dug it. I had to get, I had to get up out of my seat because of that laughing scene. (laughs) I was like, I need a break (laughs) from whatever the fuck that was. I gotta go get some fresh air. (laughs) I was like, I need some popcorn. (laughs) Yeah, so three out of four from the both of us. uh, Perfect Christmas holiday movie. For Mr. Bob You're Clark. really trying to sell the Christmas hat. I have to keep bringing it up, otherwise there's nothing out. Like, nothing that we've talked about. It's just like, oh, and then that scene where they're caught under the mistletoe. Like, there's nothing Christmas about this, but it is a family tale. <laughs> and there's nothing more... Man, there's like... it's When you think about America, if you take out a couple weird things like war, you mostly just think, <laughs> you mostly just think of, like, uh, apple pies, family get-togethers, and both of those are Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, despite the fact that Christmas was not invented in America, they really adopted it for themselves. Like, this is ours. The Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's us. Well, and you what think of the, the Griswoldiness of it, like the the good old American family. Like, you have, you have the grandparents over for dinner. You have the Christmas tree. You decorate your house. That's all part of the American dream. That's mm-hmm. the nuclear family. That's the perfect little photo. Oh, every, the... it has to look perfect from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, yeah. Time, <laughs> what time of year does it look more perfect than Christmas? Put snow all over those sets. <laughs> Yes. <laughs>
Uh, and in keeping with the variety. I'm like, okay, what are you doing? You have a book open. And so in like- keeping with the variety <laughs> show setup that we have going for Uncle. <laughs> Welcome back from commercial break, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> You're tuning back into Bob Clark's Creepy Christmas Spooktacular. And our final segment here on the program is a little cocktail pairing. So if you're planning on watching Death Dream slash Dead of Night at home this holiday season, we recommend you try The Home for the Holidays. It's a holiday take on the undead gentleman, which any cocktail uh, fan out there will already know is kind of a mix between the corpse reviver and the zombie, which are definitely two, definitely a perfect cocktail for a movie like Death Dream. Now, of course, the undead gentleman serves straight up, no ice. You're you're gonna keep this in a chilled coupe or tall glass, depending on your garnish, okay? So you wanna chill that glass. You're gonna put this in the show notes, right? (laughs) I guess I should, yeah. Otherwise, like no one's gonna remember all this. But yeah, you know, the classic undead gentleman comes with a half ounce of lime juice, a half ounce of grapefruit juice. But for a Christmas twist, I would throw in some cranberries as well. Mash those suckers up before you muddle everything together. Of course, you need a little bit of cinnamon syrup to taste. Falernum helps, and that's kind of what makes this a little bit of a tiki drink. You can omit it if you like. Uh, maybe just put a little extra. A little extra cinnamon syrup in there because it is a little bit of a sweet. An ounce of black rum, an ounce and a half of blended rum, and then you're gonna you're gonna mix that all together. Uh, and you can garnish with a mint traditionally, but if you want a little extra holiday kick, I would throw a little bit of rosemary in there. Make sure you just give it a nice little clap in your hand before you drop it in the cup. You want to get that that rosemary aroma out on the nose before you take a sip. Rinse your cup with a little bit of absinthe as well before you drop your garnish in there. Uh, strain that all into your cup, no ice, and that's your home for the holidays. Which I wish I had a creepier title for. Especially, I'm like, it's based on this zombie drink and this zombie drink. And here's a Christmas cocktail. I like the Undead Gentleman. I think that's a very classy name. Mm-hmm. And that's it for the first half of Bob Clark's Chris Creepy Christmas Spooktacular. We'll be back next week. Obviously, we're talking about Black Christmas. And it's actually going to be Christmas themed. It's going to actually be a Christmas themed holiday episode. Uh, we're going to keep that variety show fever going. I've got another musical number from Billy prepared, looking to see what he's coming up with. And of Great. course, Kim's got a surprise segment that she hasn't told us about what? yet. But <laughs> she's putting together. We'll see what she's cooking up over there on her oh, side God. of the table. <laughs> Of course, you can let us know what you thought of Dead of Night slash Death Dream over on social media at Nightmare on Film Street or NOFS Podcast. Just search for either of those wherever you talk to people and you'll probably find us. We recommend Discord, which you can find in the show notes at nofspodcast.com slash Discord. Until next time, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time. Stay creepy, fiends.